0: Well, as you may know, may have heard recently, that I tend to enjoy um, a a crowd, a big event, a large crowd, especially when it's gathered for a a featured attraction or a big event. And so because of that love for those moments, the crowds, big events, I noticed a pattern that is often repeated consistently in these gatherings. And this phenomenon is it's not isolated to one genre or one type of event. It, it extends uh, to a variety of events, to world events. It could be the attend- like just think of a royal, a royal wedding. You'll see this happening. It could be on a national stage, possibly the inauguration or anything that's significant on a national stage. Matter of fact, you can even see this at our local Christmas parade when people gather and they're longing for something or they're they're negotiating to be somewhere. You can think about it. It doesn't matter if it's Broadway or sporting events. It doesn't matter if it's a, a rock concert. It doesn't matter if it's a symphony. But what is this observation? I'm glad... I'm glad I asked. I'm glad you are wondering, what is this? What is this? Well, I've noticed that the closer one is able to navigate to that featured speaker, that keynote speaker, or the performance on the stage, or the action on the field, the closer one is able to navigate to that, uh, the, the higher the cost it is to access and I don't merely mean what StubHub may tell you or Ticketmaster or anything like that. But just if you're at a parade, for instance, if you want that front row to the, uh, to the floats that go by, you have to navigate, you have to, to, hopefully you won't elbow someone or you won't elbow them too hard, but you have to work hard to get to that front row seat. The higher the cost, the greater the privilege it is to be there, the more vivid the experience It is to enjoy. The more memorable the occasion will be in the future, matter of fact, the better the story will be for you to share, and if you really get right up there on a significant moment, your friends may even be more interested to hear what you just did than if you were just there. I mean if one can say I was there that that's that's good but if one can say I was near that's even better but should one gain access to that front row seat or that courtside seat or the or right near the orchestra pit now that that's certainly best and it could be one of those moments where we tend to say, oh, that was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Which I can find that I probably say that too many times. But that, that image, that's what we are looking at when, when we uh, begin this letter of John, First John. The first few verses of this letter, John is going to take us into that moment that he had to have literally a front row to the person of Jesus. And he's going to unfold that moment. And through faith in Jesus Christ, not only are we going to hear what John experienced, but through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have that joy, the hope, the impact of what it is to know and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is a remarkable thing. And so I want to ask you to open your Bible. Your Bible's already open to 1 John. And we'll see this morning... How John addresses and comforts and strengthens the assurance of his, belief, of, of his readers. So if you were to think of the, the, a subject or the overview of 1 John, it would be uh, this letter. It would be that John is writing to strengthen and fortify the assurance of their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. The assurance of salvation is a precious, it's a, it's a great gift from the Lord. And John is writing to, to strengthen that. And, and not only are, uh, is the assurance of salvation, was it needed for the hearers, or the readers of, of 1 John. We see this, and I see this today. Oftentimes the question of, am I really saved, will be asked. And some of us think about that from one time or another. Am I saved? Or how can I, how can a good God, how can God really love me? Or maybe even something like if I only could just see him, if th- then if I could see him or touch him, then my faith would be strengthened. Or then I would just have a greater assurance if I, if I uh, could be there. Well, First John, at the end of the letter, you don't have to turn there, I'll just share. First John 5, 13 is the the summary, the subject of the of, of this, of why he wrote. First John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's the purpose of why John is writing. That's the purpose of this letter, and that is what we need today. So in John's day, there was a there was a need to counter the the false teaching of the day called Gnosticism. And one of the things that it was doing was undermining who Jesus was, the identity of Jesus Christ, and also challenging what really it is to have fellowship with God. And so the readers, their assurance was shaken. The false teachers were promoting this, this understanding of Jesus and it was heretical and it was distorting the gospel gnosticism was this idea that the spirit is good the body or the flesh is bad and so the thought that a a the god of the universe could dwell in a body of flesh was to the gnostics of the time was anathema it was ridiculous and so the readers of John's, that john was writing to they needed to be encouraged they needed their theology to be strengthened So we know as what we think about Jesus Christ and what we believe about Jesus Christ has everything to do with our hope and assurance and our salvation. For, for, For one to dismiss or purposely deny that God became flesh is to deny the faith. This doctrine is extremely important. And so John will... He's going to seek to fortify and strengthen uh, the reader's assurance. He's going to do this. We're going to see these four areas uh, in these first four uh, verses. Number one, he's going to touch on the anchor of of assurance. What is the anchor of assurance? Number two, the deity of Christ. Third, he's going to talk about the fellowship with God and with others. A fellowship with God, and fourthly, the source of joy. And so notice verse 1. You heard it read, but I'll read it again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Imagine receiving a letter like this. Where the letter starts, starts similar, starts something like this. That which was from the beginning. The reader is going to immediately understand, like we're about to talk about something that is pretty significant, that is significant, that's bigger than than I am. It's greater than anticipated. So, in one sense, this is heavy, but it's also essential. And so, John begins with this phrase: "That which was from the beginning." Now, what what are the grounds of this? Assertion. Think of the first words that John writes are those to remind the reader that their faith is spans across time, they, uh, that Jesus Christ has always existed. This is not a faith that is developed overnight. It's not a, about a person who has recently come upon the scene. It's not about it's certainly not a person that's only just appears. For again, the Gnostics would there's some, there's one group of the Gnostics that would say, "Oh, Jesus is just appears to be God, but really, it's not. He's not." So John is saying the Word of Life is from the beginning. We can't help but think of how John began his gospel, and Wes uh, opened this up. The call, of worship, the call of worship, he says, in the beginning, or John says in his gospel, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so John will emphasize this in verse 2, but he begins this letter, that which fr- was from the beginning. Now understand, that was, that's a clause, that which was in the beginning. Or from the beginning. That's a clause. And if you look at verse 1, there's several clauses here. And they all point to the word of life. At the end of verse 1, the, the scripture says, concerning the word of life. And so pastors and theologians you know, this discuss, all right, does this mean the gospel? Is the word of life the gospel? Is it like the gospel message? Or is it Jesus Christ himself? What, what is John referring to? Well, as you'll see in just a moment, I mean, it's certainly not less than the gospel. Certainly not less. But as we walk through this first one, it's clear that that Jesus Christ is the focus of John's attention here. And so the word of life, In in John chapter eight, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so the thought that Jesus Is from the beginning is an anchor to the souls of the readers. They're able to anchor their assurance of salvation in someone that is from the beginning. We're talking of an immutable God, the God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so you receive that letter at the very beginning and just think, "Oh, this is something from the beginning. It's not made up. It's not a popular popular opinion." It's not the latest and the greatest fad. Jesus is literally the same person that was prophesied in the Old Old Testament and involved in creation. Imagine the confidence. Not just imagine it. I mean, just enjoy the confidence that brings to us. The comfort and security knowing that Jesus is the original from the beginning. As you know, Elise and I have uh, had the joy of four children, we raising and sending them off. We've sent three of them off. And one thing that we've noticed as you send them off, you know, you, you invest in them while you're, you, they're in your home. And then you kind of know most of their friends, most of their life. When they go off, you work hard to know, okay, who are their friends? What's going on? And so the first year, so we, you know, send the kids off. You're just, when we talk with them, we're learning who they are, who they're hanging or who who they're hanging out with, or new friends, and we're working very hard at getting to know their names because at, at the times that you know you see them, we want to have some understanding of who their friends are, and so we we really work hard. Well, year two, three, and you know, uh, our oldest has been uh, gone, you know, a little more, but in year two or three. And beyond, sometimes we'll talk to two of the oldest and say, we'll ask something like, so what are you doing? We'll get something like this. Oh, we're going to hang out with the OG. I said, oh. Oh, yeah, we're just going to OG it tonight. Well, in an effort to, I mean, we still want to be cool, or I still want to be cool in the the eyes of my kids. So I'm thinking, I'm not responding with, okay, what does OGing it mean? Is that a... Activity? Is it a place? You know, what does that mean? It just comes natural uh, to them. Uh, so we quickly realize what that means. It's the original. The original group of friends or the original few that, that they met really in week one. So now that knowing that terminology, I can think of the, the OG in my life back like after that first few uh, days in Oklahoma Baptist University I know who they are but there's something about when things so many ch- things change in the, you know, our lives after we leave there's something about having a constant reminder of this is the group that I know the best the, the relationship tends to be the deepest it's the most genuine it the con- brings stability, dependability Well, from the beginning, John is writing and reminding his readers, Jesus Christ is from the beginning. He's the original, the only, he's the eternal God, never-changing, immutable God. In our salvation, when we think about our assurance, meditating on the fact that our salvation rests in a God who does not change is absolutely reassuring. But notice John just doesn't stop with that. He goes on. Not only is God an immutable God who doesn't change, he's also imminent. He's there. And look at John. He describes his experience with, with Jesus. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and touched with our hands. John explains an increasingly intimate encounter with Jesus Christ. Which we have heard. These so these verbs, what we these things that we've heard and seen, they imply a a moment in time that continues and still impacts John to the to the very present. So it's a past time, past event, but it's still impacting him as if it was going on right then. And so he talks about hearing it. John is has is giving us a first hand account, evidence that he was with Jesus. He had that front row seat to the living Word of God. If you think about how often three and a half years of, of being and walking with Jesus, seeing His miracles, hearing what He said, you know, from the very beginning when Jesus called uh, John and a couple of the other disciples. The scripture says, for he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And Luke 5.10 says, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. John was there. He heard Jesus say that statement, do not be afraid. I'm going to make you fishers of men. John continues to reflect upon some of the times that he's been with Jesus. You know, at the end of John 19, verse 27, then he said to his disciples, Jesus, on the cross, he says, behold your mother. And from that very hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So John was impacted by the things that he heard Jesus say. So he's reassuring his readers, giving them confidence of, of why they should be confident in their salvation. But he also says, which we have seen with our eyes. This, the phrase, which we have seen and with our eyes, overwhelmingly describes a visible, a, sensor, a, a sensory perception, an experience that John had face to face, essentially. So we had seen him with our eyes. We have looked at, he, he repeats that for emphasis. It's like, no, we were there. I was there. You'll see there in the scriptures, we, which we have looked at, or which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, there's a gazing upon Jesus. There's an intense intensity by which John is taking in Jesus. And you think of, think, well, how often was John with Jesus? What are some moments that he could be thinking about? And one of them is Matthew 17. And Matthew 17 talks about after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain. And he was transfigured before them. Speaking of Jesus, he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. That, that moment shaped John. And again, he's writing his readers and letting them know, I heard him, I saw him. Not only that, I touched him. That same moment, Matthew, uh, that Matthew talks about the transfiguration, Matthew 17, 7 and 8 says, but Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. You know, imagine the, the intimacy that John had with Jesus, the person of Jesus, and that encounter says, and when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This reminds us of the gracious experience that Thomas had with Jesus. When, remember when Thomas said, if I only could see him, then I could believe. Then he, Jesus said to Thomas in John 20, 27, he says, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. So the eternal God Jesus Christ had come in the flesh and John was there. Jesus said to Thomas, "Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed." That's us. Like that's us. I and mean, we're not going to see Jesus until we are in heaven face to face. We're not going to see Jesus face to face. But through God's grace we believe. Blessed are those who believe. We hear these testimonies. We read John 1 John 1:1 and the Lord just takes us as if like a front row seat to seeing Jesus face to face. We must not foolishly dismiss the first hand account encounter with Jesus, the word of life. The word of life entered space and time to make it possible for us to enter heaven for eternity. And that's what John John is describing. Well, notice verse 2. God is revealed in the humanity and deity of Christ. Verse 2 says, the life was made manifest. So that which was from the beginning, this life was made manifest. Verse 2 goes on to say, and we have seen it and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life. The person of Jesus was made manifest. Later in John, the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 14, we know that the Scripture says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John emphasizes the apostolic witness. Of the risen Christ, so this this eternal life is not. uh, This is not to denote an impersonal quality of life. This is to focus on and identify Jesus Christ and the incarnation. The fact that God came in the flesh cannot be overstated. Without that, there would be no identification with man. There would be no perfect display of obedience. There'd be no righteous keeping of the law. There's no one righteous. No one, not one. And so had God not come in the flesh, we had no one that would have kept the law, no miraculous deeds, no fulfillment of scripture, no atonement for sin, no resurrection, just no salvation. It was imperative that God the Son come and take on flesh only a human can a righteous human can obey the requirements of the law and stand in the place for us so notice verse 2 the life, John says it was made known, it was manifest, we have seen it, still can't get over this experience we've seen it and it, it results in testifying and proclaiming to you the eternal life Notice at the end of verse 2, this is so good. Which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. This is a great text of Scripture to go to when you think about how do we know for certain that Jesus is fully God. This is it. Go to 1 John 1 verse 2. So the Charles Spurgeon, 19th century pastor says of the incarnation of Jesus, he says this, he was infinite yet an infant. He was eternal and yet born of a woman. He was almighty and yet nursing at a woman's breast. He was supporting a universe and yet needed to be carried in a mother's arms. He was the heir of all things and yet the carpenter's despised son. So this truth the central purpose of this letter, again, is to encourage Christians, is to encourage their, their, for them to persevere in their belief and to give them assurance. John writes that. We, are, we know that's the, the purpose of this letter. and the end of the letter, the, the second to the last verse of this letter, he says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That is our Savior. And so number three, look at verse three. Jesus is proclaimed. Look at uh, John, what John says here. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. That's it. So the impact of seeing Jesus and hearing Jesus this proclaim this is the this is the main verb in this in this whole section right here it's John is going to proclaim what he has seen and heard. This is a supernatural response to a natural encounter with Jesus. Supernaturally, John is there, he saw Jesus, and keep in mind, not everyone that saw Jesus believed, we know that, but by God's grace, John did. He believed, and the supernatural response to that is that he's proclaiming the name of Jesus. We've already heard, we've heard the importance of proclaiming the gospel. That's the Great Commission, and, and and as Josh mentioned just a moment ago, the team that's leaving on Friday, their, their, their whole desire is to, to strengthen the pastors and proclaim the gospel. That's well, a delight to, to proclaim. And notice what I, what I love about John is, is this this is not mere words. The vividness of Jesus's experience with with, or, I'm sorry, the vividness of John's experience with Jesus was so incredible captivating and compelling that enticed him and motivated him to share that with others. And as I started to say just a moment ago, what I love about that is these are not mere empty words that John said. There is consistency in the Scripture and as as you think about and follow John's life, in Acts chapter, <clears throat> chapter 4, there's an encounter that John has. He's being persecuted for his faith. And so keep in mind, John is writing the, this, uh, the epistle of 1 John. John's writing this because of the internal threat of not having confidence. The internal threat to diminish the, uh, the doctrine of Jesus. But John also proclaimed this in the threat of an external threat of his life. Notice Acts chapter 4. Listen to uh, Acts 4, verse 18. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So do you, think about what's going on. John is saying in this letter that he's proclaiming what he has seen and heard. Now, later in his life, the, the They're they're being asked. The official, they're being persecuted and saying, stop speaking of Jesus. Here's what Peter says in, in John. But Peter and John answered them. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So this encounter that John had with Jesus was so compelling that at the face of opposition and persecution and risking his life, he was still, by the power of the Spirit, willing to proclaim the message of hope. Friends, may we not be silenced. May we not shrink back in fear at the face of opposition, either internal opposition or external and so the main verb here is proclaim. And so the gospel message that God, the God man took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death for our sin and raised from the dead. That, that is the content of our faith. And John is delighting in proclaiming that name. But why is he doing that? Why is he so bold to risk his life? Why is he so intentional on sharing and writing this down. Notice verse 3, the second part of verse 3. So that you too may have fellowship with us. It's an invitation. So that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. To have fellowship with the living God is a gift. It's a gift of mercy and grace. We can have communion intimacy with the eternal God, a God from the beginning, a God that doesn't change. We can have that intimacy. And I want, just consider this for a moment. When we have Jesus, when we place our faith in Jesus, we have infinitely more in common with another believer that we've just met than the world has with anything and anyone outside of Christ. When we know Jesus Christ, he brings us into fellowship with the God of the universe and he also brings us in fellowship with each other. And John just cannot get over that. He said, I'm writing these these things to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. It's just amazing that the world there's as you look around, there is a desire and there's a, a there's an intense desire desire to be a part of something. As you look around, there's a lot of different groups. There's clubs and, and there's uh, there's running running clubs, there's workout gyms, there's all of these things and places to belong. And a lot of them I love. I, I, Love the running group. Every chance I, well, not every chance, but I do love a few opportunities when I get to run with a running group in Durham. So it can be fun, but, but the world tries, and Satan tries to make an imitation of this communion that we all desperately need. We are all created in the image of God. So that is why there is a longing to belong. The world would say, have a different answer as to what is truly going to satisfy John is writing to remind his readers and remind us today that the only one, the only person to satisfy that deep longing to belong is Jesus Christ. And once we have fellowship with God, once we have fellowship with his son, we can have fellowship with each other. Again, I will just reiterate, we have infinitely more in common with each other. And I may not even know your name afterwards. You may not know everyone's name as you leave, as you bump in. But if you are believers, there is much by the grace of God that we have in common. Lastly, I want to just look at verse 4. John writes, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. This is amazing. So there is, and John, he begins with, that was was from the beginning. Then he begins to unfold verbally like what has happened. I've seen him. I heard him. I want you to know. I want to proclaim. Now he's proclaiming. But then under, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he's captured this so that his joy may be made complete. Now, it's important to understand this is not merely cathartic for John. It's not just simply to make him feel good. It's not as if you and I, we have a moment like this or we have a phenomenal experience. We run home and we journal or some of us journal. I don't journal, but sometimes I, I think I should. But it's, it's more than just capturing it so that John can be reminded. No, he's writing this down so that his joy may be made complete. Well, what is that? Well, in Third John verse 4, you can, you can just listen. Third John verse 4 says, John says, I have no greater joy than this, than to see my children walk in the faith or to hear that my children walk in the faith. That is his joy. And so when John writes in verse 4 of chapter 1, we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. Is this not a self-centered joy so that John can feel good about himself, be reminded of that moment that he saw Jesus or those moments He's writing this so that the readers and fast forward to 2023, you and I can walk and mature in our faith. And so these truths that Jesus Christ is fully God, the fact that we have salvation, we have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, those truths are going to anchor our souls and give us assurance of our salvation. The written word of God is a gift to us. And as we think about those moments, we think about John, we might be tempted to say, oh, if only I could see him. John's writing, I'm writing these things to you so that, so that my joy can be made complete and through the gospel we could have fullness of joy through knowing Jesus Christ. Peter writes about this in 2 Peter 1. Verse 17, he says, For we have received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This, the, the, he heard him say, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Peter said, We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. But then he says, And we have the prophetic word made full, more fully confirmed. Friends, we have the word of God. We have an account. We can be confident that what John experienced, it certainly happened. But through faith in Jesus Christ, the joy that John had, we have as well. We can share that joy with him. So this past week, John, for, uh, 1 John one, 1 through 4 was 1-4, I was just ruminating on it. I've been thinking about it for a little while. So Thursday afternoon, I told Kevin, I said, Kevin, I'm just going to walk. I'm just going to walk downtown. I usually probably should walk all the time. I more often get in my car and drive downtown. Just right across the street. But this time I wanted to walk. And I was was thinking about these scripture. And so I ran, um, and on my way to, I was going to a destination. I was going to lunch. I was going to walk back. On my way back, I saw a gentleman that, He he did. He wanted to to talk, and so he asked me. He said, "Hey, would you like to have a conversation?" And I knew enough. I won't go into detail. I knew enough that uh, at that moment I could, I could, I understood what he was, um, the message he was going to share. And so, from the very beginning, I said, "You know, I, I just want you to know, we we will we have a we probably have different worldviews. We're coming from two different perspectives." So I just want you to know that at the very beginning. And he said, oh, yeah, that's okay. We're all, I mean, we're all just trying, uh, you know, trying to navigate in this world. And so I, I didn't really agree with him. I just was listening. But he said, no, that's all right. I, I still would like to talk. I said, well, I have some time. And so I said, so he, he put his, uh, um, he actually literally said, yeah, I'm not going to talk about what I was going to talk about. So I asked him, I said, I have two questions for you, So if you don't mind. I said, number one, do you believe in God? Do you believe there's a God? So he said, thought about it for a moment, but eventually he said, uh, yeah, um, maybe. It's possible. I mean, I don't know if we can really know for sure. And then you know my mind's like, okay, there's, there's assurance. There's certainty. And I said, okay, well, do you believe that Jesus is God? On that one, he uh, quickly could not go there. And so he said, you know, how can we really know for sure? And then he, he literally said this. And i tell you, I love this. I really, really, my heart was drawn to this guy. I, I really hope I, get a, I, I see him again. But he said, seriously, how can, I just can't believe in something that I cannot see. And he, he literally said, and I cannot touch. I'm thinking, all right, I have to tell him what is on my mind. And I said, it's interesting you said that. I'm actually preaching this Sunday and I, and I said, let me just tell you what I'm preaching. Let me, John, and I, I quoted the verse, and he, just, he, he looked at me like, wow, that's interesting. I just don't know how you can believe so uh, without seeing. And so we, we ended that conversation. It was real, again, it was a great conversation. But as I left, I, I thought about it. You know how you are when you have a conversation like that. You think about it, and then you're like, oh, I should have said this. Well, I had a little extra time, so I walked back, and he was still there. I said, and he smiled. I promise, he did. It was it was good. He said, he, he waved at me. I said, "Hey, I, I actually I have one thing to ask you." He goes, "Oh yeah, shoot, like like go proceed." Uh, <laughs> and I said, I said it was a breezy day, and I said, "It's pretty it's breezy today, isn't it?" He said, "Yeah, it is." A little, I said. Do you believe in the wind? And he said, okay. He goes, I know what you're doing here. And I said, listen, um, his name was Cam. I said, Cam. I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to say it got gotcha, you, but as I was walking away, I thought, well, what you said, and I did. I told him, I said, Cam, I don't know if what you said is really consistent. I said, because we do believe in the wind. And I also threw in gravity. But I wanted to stick with the wind. I was thinking, the uh, Nicodemus, I was thinking wind. I said, and so I, I'm not here to convince you and try to say with words. I want my, I'm here to let the word of God just convince you. And I just want to ask that you just think about what we've said. And, he's, and he, he nodded his head. He goes, okay, I will think about that. I hadn't thought about that. So I, I left. I don't know. I really hope I see Cam again. I really enjoyed that encounter. But as I walked away, I'm just so thankful for the word of God. Because, yeah, we're not going to see Jesus on this side of heaven. But we see him by faith. And we have the written account. And as Jesus told Thomas, blessed are those who do not be- or have not seen me, but still believe. Let's pray that that fellowship we have with God would work in our hearts so that we would delight to proclaim his name. Father, we want to thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that by the power of your spirit that you would give us, you would strengthen our assurance Lord, that we would understand that through faith in Jesus Christ, we certainly can be confident that we will see you face to face for eternity. But Lord, not only do we, are we asking that you strengthen our assurance, Lord, we also pray that, Lord, that you would, one, open our eyes for those, if there's anyone here in this room who, who has not believed and placed their faith, we pray that you would open their eyes to understand you and to know you and to enjoy the fellowship with God the Father and God the Son and fellowship with believers. But we also pray humbly this morning in needy. We ask that you, by the power of your spirit and by your grace, that you would motivate us and equip us to testify and proclaim the salvation and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Give us boldness and give us joy.